The Guardian. The Guardian live at the Edinburgh Fringe 2008. Hello, welcome to The Guardian Live at the Gilded Balloon with me, Miles Jupp. I'm just backstage now, we've just stepped off the stage after recording our show. Uh, Tim Minchin finished the show for us today with a fantastic song. Uh, we also had Leah Benedictus on the show and Fred McCauley. But we opened the show with some stand-up from the wonderful Maeve Higgins. Hello. Hi. Hello, hello, hello. I was going to tell you about... Um the local celebrity in my area. I'm from Cove in Ireland. It's um, an island on the south coast of Ireland. And we just have one celebrity. She's a witch. Um, she's a, a white witch. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of her, the white witch of Cove. Okay. Um, but she is like a psychic witch. She claims to be psychic. Now, in my experience, she's mainly psychic in hindsight. Like, she does, really. She usually says stuff like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I had a feeling that was going to happen. I was like, well, I know the past as well. Can I have my money back? <laughs> Actually, she doesn't take money um, for consultation. She takes John Player Blue cigarettes. It's quite rough. But um, I don't believe she's psychic, but I think she does tell you some pretty interesting things about your family. Because my mum went to see the witch, and she did this trick on my mum's hand. You know, when you hold a ring over a lady's hand, and you can tell her how many children she's had. Did you ever see that trick being done? I don't know what the purpose is, really, just in case the woman has forgotten. Like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we had that little brown-haired one with us in Saturday. Yeah, better check the shop. Dave, ring the shop. <laughs> but um, actually, actually happened. But um, yeah, she does. She did this trick on my mum's hand where she held a ring over her hand. For the purpose of the story, I have to tell you that um, my mother has had seven children. Right? She's a great little goer. <laughs> um, no, sorry, sorry. I don't don't think it was her choice. But anyway, she's had seven children, and um. The witch said to her, she said, I can tell by my magical ring trick that you have heard. Do you know she doesn't talk like that? Is that why you're looking at me like that? <laughs> you're right. She doesn't talk like that. But I think um, if I was a witch, I think I would make an effort with my voice and appearance. But anyway, um, <laughs> she puts on like a normal voice. And she did this trick on my mother's hand and she said to my mother that uh, she said, I can tell that you've had one girl, one boy and then five girls. And my mother said, no, Helen, no. Because they're in school together, as well, they're friends. <laughs> very small. Cove is very small. Um, and she said, no, she said, I've only had one girl, one boy, and then five girls. And the witch said that the only explanation for the mix-up was that my mother's initial pregnancy, it must have started off with twins, but then the stronger embryo ingested the other embryo. That's what she said. I know it's a horrible thing to hear, but you have to, you have to take into account, when you're from a big family, you have to store up little bits of information about your siblings, things that they've done wrong in the past, so you can use it against them in future arguments. Um, <laughs> like, when my brother was 10 years old, he shook hands at Robert Mugabe. Can you believe that? <laughs> I would never do that. Um, but yeah, he shook hands at him. So now my brother never gets to choose what we watch on TV, ever. <laughs> now, it's like 18 years later. But um, yeah, so I used it against my sister at Christmas time. We were all home at Christmas and um, I borrowed my, old, my sister's shoes and she's half a size smaller than me, but I've got a slightly fuller upper lip, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. But um, <laughs> she's half a size smaller. And you know, if you wear shoes that are too small for you, you kind of, you'd stretch them out or ruin them depending on your perspective, really. And my sister chose the latter. She went mad, I can't believe you ruined my shoes. And I was like, I can't believe you ate our older sister. <laughs> Is that Start crying. 
I was like, Siobhan would have let me her shoes, she wouldn't have cared. What happened to them? Um, I call the dead one, yeah, I call the dead one Siobhan. And I think, I think she would have been really lovely. Um, because, you know, with twins, the way there's always a good one and a bad one. Obviously, now, if you ask twins, they'll deny that. Oh, no, that's just superstition. But um, that's because one of those twins is pure evil. The other one is perpetually terrified. So you never get the truth. Definitely my, my, uh, my surviving sister was the bad one. She was a horrible child. I suppose, what else would you expect from a murderous fetus? <laughs> She's horrible. She was really mean. She told me something about Santa that I wish she hadn't told me. Um, I won't say what she told me now in case there's children here. I don't think there are children here, but you can never tell though, because children love to come to shows. So often what they do is they stack up on top of each other and the top child puts on some lipstick and a big coat. And um, I won't say anything. I'd hate to just hear somebody's torso whimpering, just like, Boom! and then all these three-year-olds come tumbling out, bawling, crying. But um, thanks for listening so, so early in the morning and have a lovely festival. <laughs> Good night. Bye. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, Maeve Higgins. Fred McCauley has been on the radio every morning in this country for 11 years. He's a regular at the Fringe, and he's hosting the So You Think You're Funny gala evening at the Festival Theatre. He's joining us this morning as our first celebrity reviewer. Please welcome to the Guardian podcast, Fred McCauley. Thank you, Miles. Good morning. Uh, Fred, how are you? I'm well, thanks. And you? Uh, very good. Uh, you've got a tan, Fred. Have you been away? I've been on holiday, yes. Oh, right, and you've just returned now to, to mix it up here at the Fringe? Yep, uh, so the Fringe had been underway for a week and uh, so that everybody could get up and running and uh, we breezed into town and uh, have been enjoying it for, for a wee while now. And you're, uh, you're hosting your own uh, BBC Radio Scotland show at the Spiegel Tent around yes, the corner? Yes, indeed. How, uh, how's that going? It's going very well, thank you very much, my, uh, Miles. Uh, although we had technical problems uh, th- this morning. Wait, what, what happened? Um, they the had no power whatsoever in the, in the Spiegel tent. No power for sound, no power for lights, no power for the bacon sandwiches. <laughs> and I think you can tell which of those three uh, were the more important <laughs> to me. Uh, and it presumably power is quite important for, for radio, is it? It I'm is. Well, but, but I thought it was going to be the first acoustic radio show. <laughs> uh, which, you know, would have been fun to do, but then difficult to deliver to the listeners. <laughs> uh, it would have been kind of repetitive. <coughs> Sorry you didn't hear it out your transistor. Uh, Antonio, would you like to play that tune again? <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've been uh, in a show that's had a lot of uh, technical problems just uh, next door, and uh, last night it was 20 minutes late, and I thought, oh, I'll go and apologise to the audience, that will help things. Yeah. Um, so I went out to the queue in the rain, dressed as Walter Raleigh, uh, with my codpiece, uh, thinking this will just, you know, everyone will be nice about it. Nothing but abuse. <laughs> Tim, I'm the one wandering around in Elizabethan costume with a ridiculous copies while people are going, you know we're not going to enjoy it now, don't you? Which <laughs> uh, uh, sort of killed my spirit, really. Uh, and uh, they were right, though, they didn't. Uh, now, um, <laughs> I think once an audience makes its mind up, they're yeah. pretty set in their ways, aren't they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you've uh, you've uh, been... Uh, well, you've had a long relationship with the Gilded Balloon. I have. Uh, you've hosted uh, uh, a number of latent lives here. Yes, uh, well, back in the old Cowgate building before it burnt down, which was a, a disaster. I don't know if anybody's mentioned it on, on the podcast. It happened a few years ago, and uh, it was terrible because uh, Karen at the Gilded Balloon lost all her accounting records. <laughs> <laughs> tragedy, tragedy. <laughs> um, I, I remember seeing her standing in the Cowgate weeping, going, seven years VAT returns gone. <laughs> How will it <they> audit? <laughs> 
Uh, but uh, uh, you must have you must have seen some things out the old. Late I have and indeed. Live. I mean, the old the old Leighton Live was was a fantastic institution, and it was the only show I think on in Edinburgh after midnight. And uh, you know, in the, uh, I I did my first one man show in Edinburgh in 1993. Previously, I'd done sort of collaborative things with uh, either the Funny Farm or latterly I did two years with Lynn Ferguson. Uh, one was Richard Morton, and then 93 did did my own, and then started to to do maybe acts, uh, you know, do a set at the Leighton Live or maybe. Uh, latterly uh, MC it and there was the wee bar at the side so if you were MCing you'd bring on an act and then you would disappear down the bar get a couple of pints and you could look through the doors there were little swing like saloon bar doors you know, and they would open and flap shut and uh, when they opened you could either tell whether uh, somebody was uh, storming it next door which was rare or equally uh, absolutely dying and uh, both of which created uh, a great deal of interest with the other performers you know, because if the door came open and there was roaring you would rush to see who was actually cracking it and if there was silence oh, who's dying you know hope it's somebody I don't like uh, <laughs> but I remember once the doors flapped open and I saw the late great Malcolm Hardy standing absolutely naked on stage dying or storming it? Um, do you know this he was the only person I saw managing to do both <laughs> storming as he was dying and there's a wee visual image for you uh, and did you did you ever get bottles thrown at you? Or? Um, no, never Tea bottles. Cups. No, no, nothing. Not even plastic. I, I remember once uh, for for anybody that's ever performed on stage, you know, the, the, when the lights are really bright, you can see maybe the front row fairly clearly. Then the second, the, and then your perspective kind of disappears. Uh, somebody once threw a packet of cigarettes at me. And uh, that, that was pretty scary, seeing just this box coming in out of the lights, and it, and it scared me. And it was very early on in my career, and uh, I'd been booked to go down to London. And uh, again, this is a Malcolm Hardy story. Before he had Up the Creek, he had the Tunnel Club, which was a way out in, in uh, the east of London. And I went there, and uh, I was pretty nervous, and we were waiting to go on. And there was this guy before me, he said, yeah, he said, the last time I was here, he said, I, I came off bleeding. And I thought he was, he was talking metaphorically, and I was going, yeah, it can really hurt at times, you know. He said, no. He said, I got hit with a glass ashtray, and I thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> and it's not the best sort of pre show uh, chat to have that somebody's going to hit you with a glass ashtray. So, you know, I, I'm quite glad that we've done away with smoking inside buildings because we, it's nothing to do with health. It's really for comedians. We're, we're getting rid of all the smoking paraphernalia and getting rid of things for people to throw on stage. Now, we, we had your uh, fellow celebrity Fame Academy student. Uh, Tim Vine, yes, uh, on the show. He he said that being on Celebrity Fame Academy uh, was genuinely one of the most exciting things he's ever done in his life. Yeah, no. Would, would, would <laughs> Tim came at it from a different viewpoint from me, I have to say. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> I, I was the casting vote that put him out. Were you? Yeah. And it, we, I got on fine with Tim, but before I went in, there were, there were 13 of us, and I decided that at some point I was going to have to make a decision between friends who was going to have to get voted out, if indeed I was still in a voting situation. And uh, I had a, I'd set a preset criteria that I would always vote the person off whose name came furthest down the, the alphabet. And with Tim Vine, he didn't stand a blooming chance. <laughs> So I remember you singing, you singing a, a Niles Barclay song. Is that, is that correct? <laughs> yes. I, I remember I when... I thought there was something wrong with I the remember. set. <laughs> but I, I, I did a gag, though, Miles. Do you not remember my gag? I, you know, because Niles Barclay had the dark glasses on, and, uh, and I did as well, and I pulled them off, and hilariously, I had another pair of smaller dark glasses on underneath. <laughs> what a laugh. <laughs> 
I thought, well, if I can't get them in the singing, this hilarity will have them voting for me. <laughs> uh, now, we've billed you as our first celebrity reviewer. Okay. What, uh, what have you been to see so far? We hit town on Sunday night and uh, went straight to see Tom Stade, uh, a comedian that I've got huge admiration for. And uh, Tom, I, I think, is probably the most honest comedian I've ever come across. I, I can't imagine Tom Stade ever saying, really, I, I don't want to discuss that. Tom, Tom lets you know about the most private things that go on in his life uh, and with great comedic effect. And uh, I think he got a number of five-star awards for his show last year. This show is completely completely new uh, and, and, and he, says, he says to the audience at the start he said look this is this is a work in progress he he has kind of encapsulated what used to be the old spirit of the fringe which was that you know you turn up and you do new material and for Tom it's very new some of it is still work in progress you can see that he's still thinking things up on stage he's, he's got somebody helping write it down you know and the show is evolving uh, and he's a fantastic comedian um, and as, as somebody once pointed out he's, he's, he's not uh, he's not an unhandsome man either, and I, as, a, as a heterosexual Scot can even uh, appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> he's a fine-looking boy. <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't a clue what he was talking about, but, my God, he's fit. Great. <laughs> and uh, have you seen anything finished? Uh, anything finished and polished? Yes, John Bishop, excellent as well. Oh, yeah. uh, he, he's finished, and uh, so is his show. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a... a uh, and uh, as a lot of comedians do, you know, you try and find something different. Uh, Tom, it's straight stand-up. There's no props or anything like that. John Bishop finishes with a little film, which is which is wonderful. He's got some great people uh, contributing towards that film. It's it's really excellent as well. So two two fine stand-ups. The one that I haven't seen yet, but I can give him a review already. Uh, Rod Gilbert. I've seen so many five-star reviews for Rod that uh, that number of people can't have it wrong. So I'm going to add my five stars to him. And uh, if I don't see his show, then I'm happy enough with the review I've given him already. <laughs> but, and to be honest, I think I've probably put as much effort into reviewing that as some people do uh, <laughs> that call themselves reviewers. I've been on the... Before we wrap up, Miles, I was once on the receiving end of a review that said, and Fred McCauley contributed with uh, pretty much the same as he always does, a reviewer who I saw leaving the show before I set foot on stage. <laughs> eh? You should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> call yourself reviewers, and they frankly don't. They're students. Uh, tonight, you're hosting, alongside uh, Bill Bailey and Arthur Smith, uh, the So You Think You're Funny 21st birthday gala at the Festival Theatre. Is that, uh, were you in So You Think You're Funny as a, as a young lad? Not at the Edinburgh Festival. My, my first uh, gig ever was uh, So You Think You're Funny at Mayfest 1988, um, when I, I shared the stage with Bruce Morton, Martha McBriar, Parrot, Stu Who, a great number of Scottish comedians who set off in their comedic career that night but uh, I was away uh, in August 1988 and didn't come to the Edinburgh uh, one um, and who knows how my career might have changed had I not won that one either <laughs> If you get the chance to see Fred McCauley doing live stand-up, uh, do take it, he's appearing every weekday uh, morning for the rest of the Fringe at the Spiegel Tent, get along if you can get a ticket Thank you very much Fred McCauley! Thank you Miles Thank you folks uh, thank you very much, uh, Fred. Do stick around uh, with us uh, as we chat to my next guest. He's being followed by fans of Twitter as he moves around Edinburgh reviewing for The Guardian. Please welcome Leo Benedictus. Uh, now, are you a proper reviewer or a, or a student, Leo? <laughs> 
Who would ever dare call a proper reviewer a student, for goodness <laughs> sake? I should think it was obvious, Miles, that I'm a, I'm a student. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, we'd like to get your uh, top three tips of the Fringe so far. Uh, but first, we do need to clear up a few text messages. You've been, you've been doing this Twitter service for The Guardian. It, it's unbelievably popular. Can you just... Um, can you briefly explain what it is again? It's, the, the idea is that um, rather than actually having to have a computer in order to share my views with the world or the people who want to hear them, um, I can just send a text to a specific number, which then sends that text forward to all the people who've chosen to follow me online, and they get it in their mobiles. So if I'm in the middle of watching a show and thinking this performer isn't putting any effort in, um, I, can, I can write that into my phone and then whiz it away, and people will get it straight and away. somewhere an accountant in Surbiton, will just, his phone will bleep, look, what on earth is this? Yeah, <laughs> that, that's exactly what happens, yes. So, so yesterday he might have got, uh, uh, here's one, uh, after the floods and power cuts comes the great bandwidth famine, it'll be locusts in the Guardian flat next, I hope they don't eat hummus. Yes, what? that wasn't during a show, actually. That oh, was, right, uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Start panicking about your domestic arrangements halfway through someone, then perhaps no, you might miss their effort. Yeah. That, was, that was just good, old-fashioned, being at home, nothing working, getting cross. You're, you're sharing a flat with other Guardian journalists, aren't you? I am, absolutely. Is it a riot? It, it, it is wild. Do you know, we've, I've been getting very cross with them because we have only skimmed and soya milk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I still haven't even won the argument that that is, that is clearly unacceptable. Um, well, is that at the assistance of your employers, or is it...? Yes. Oh, needless to say, these were all free skimmed and soya milk for me, which is something, I suppose. Can I ask something? Because, uh, as you know, we've just recently arrived in Edinburgh, and uh, our milk situation's getting low as well. <laughs> is there, is there an, an impediment to getting normal or semi-skimmed milk? There is no impediment that I know of. Well, go for it, Leo. I think think you're right. I think think it's been long enough and it's time to go out and get some milk. (laughs) That point has come. Now, you've also been doing a bit of a bit of observational comedy in your in your follow me service. Do all the buses in Scotland have to have tartan seats? Is it like the law? Yes. Yes, I want to know. That's not observational comedy. That is a serious question. Oh, is it? I beg your yeah. pardon. No, well, I mean, I, I don't live in Scotland. I live in London. And, and when I come up to Scotland, there are always these little things that are different. And um, that's one of them. I, I only noticed it the other day. That, and now it's become a slight obsession that every bus that passes me on the street, I peer through the window. And they all have tartan seats. It's clearly a, it is so you know you're on a Scottish bus in Scotland. They all have tartan seats. Whereas in England, they have these sort of strange, unpleasant designs that make you feel ill just to look at. I suppose the idea is if you get on the bus drunk and you wake up at the end of the term and you want to know which country you're still in as you yeah. <laughs> I think that's the idea, yeah. Do please tell us, uh, tell us your top three tips. Well, probably my number one tip, just because it is the most I have laughed at anything, is David O'Doherty. He was really superb at the stand this year. Um, I enjoyed him very much indeed. And there's a sort of feeling he... he, he he really kicked off with this tremendously high energy, very, very funny uh, business from the beginning of the show and uh, had everyone inside straight away. And it, it, it was like it, the, the gig just went so well that you got this feeling of if he just pushed it on a bit, he could have had the makings of a religion quite easily. You know, it was that sort of, that sort of a feeling, which I'm sure was great for him. And I loved it, too. Uh, two other tips? Two other tips would be uh, Tim Vine. Um, who I was on with, I think, the other day, and, and his show is... Beautiful all... singing voice as well, Tim Vine. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, um, and he was quite a lot of fun. And also Pappy's Fun Club, which it sounds like the worst possible premise for, for a comedy show. It's um, four students do a sketch show about global warming. It, it just... <laughs> It has all the hallmarks of something truly terrible in Edinburgh, but it, it's brilliant. It's really brilliant and very, very funny. Uh, Leo, thank you very much indeed for coming on today. Leo Benedictus! Thank you.
My next guest is warming up, not that quietly, quite near my left ear. Uh, he won the Perrier Best Newcomer Award in 2005 and has been rocking the free world ever since, my own words. He's described as a fleet-fingered musical comedic rambler and a rock and roll megastar. He's on at the Pleasant Strand at 9.45 until the 17th. Please welcome Tim Minchin! The Guardian Live at the Edinburgh Fringe, 2008. Tim, Tim was in, uh, uh, I'm sure you all heard it, The Guardian, the musical. Which that, is that, a play on... It's, it's a pun. Uh, um, <laughs> Because um, it's actually musical, but um, musically sounds a bit like musy, so it's a pun. <laughs> yeah, no, no, abso- absolutely. It's absolutely a great right. anecdote, that. No, it was, uh, <laughs> it was uh, one of the most unusual collisions of the words musical and musely uh, that I've, uh, I've come across in the G2 section. Um, <laughs> you had a lot to do with that, presumably. I mean, you were the heartbeat, the throbbing heartbeat that kept the thing going. I was throbbing. It was one of those things that you regret doing nearly all the time but then I'm very glad you did uh, in that they said they grabbed these five comedians and I thought that'll be a nice opportunity to work with other people because I'm you know it's a lonely life and uh, and they're great comedians and stuff but of course I forgot that it's a musical and I write funny songs and so at some point um, there was going to be a certain amount of weight placed on me getting my crap together. Although Christopher Green, who is Tina C, is also extremely musical. And it turns out Craig Hill uh, can belt out a tune uh, whenever he wants. And, um, and so it was really good. But, yeah, it, hard, quite hard to try and do something like that. There was two options. Either we just didn't care at all and made it completely stupid and improvised and potentially the worst thing ever or we cared a little bit and then people would notice that we were caring in which case we had to make it as good as we possibly could and uh, we kind of did both of those things at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now your own show's going very well. Yeah I'm really pleased. I'm not reading any press which gives me great joy and uh, so it's just between me and my audiences and they seem to be having a good time and I I, uh, wrote this show very recently so I guess it's kind of a work in progress Um, uh, like you were talking about Tom's and and I put in a lot of effort so I guess it's the opposite (laughs) of uh, what you were talking about Uh, and so I'm I'm really happy yeah it's scary writing a new show isn't it really? And, it's uh, like jumping off. Uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever been on a zip wire or something like that. But we've got this new hour that you're suddenly going to say to complete strangers, and you think, "I've just got to go on stage." It's, it's yeah. a terrifying moment, isn't it, when you first? It let is, go. and that joy of uh, I'm I'm so lucky to be able to come to Edinburgh and know I'm going to get an audience. Um, but but the the pressure of that when you're going to do a whole new hour. But you have to start your new hour somewhere, and I'm not the sort of person that writes as they tour around the world, jotting down ideas. I just sort of I, I mean I jot down ideas, but I don't. I can't sort of throw in a new song. A new song is like doing a new painting. You just have to do it. And, and so I just wrote the whole thing from scratch about six weeks, from, from about six weeks ago. So I just, I just wrote it and, and there's not really any recourse. I can't very easily go, oh, that song didn't work. I'll pop back home and by tomorrow night I'll have a new one. It's kind of, that's my hour and if it sucks, it sucks. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's not sucking. You've had extra shows? Uh, a couple of extra shows, yeah. I, I, I wasn't doing the full run because, again, I haven't done Edinburgh for two years and I thought, God, who knows, I might not sell any tickets and I'm in a big room, so I shortened the run and, and opted for a holiday at the end. But I'm sort of regretting that now because it's going so nicely, although uh, the holiday should be fun. Um, I'm doing two extra shows at 11 o'clock in the evening on Monday and Tuesday next week. Same venue. Uh, that's the 18th and 19th, is it? 18th and 19th, yes. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. I like it how... Numbers to stack up one on top of each other and rarely skip. Uh, 
I like it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great, that. Well, it's uh, maths. Uh, now, you, you came to Edinburgh in 2005. You won the uh, Best Newcomer Award. And since then, it's been... Uh, uh, has it been a lot... Oh, I'm about to say it must have been a roller coaster. And I realised that was the most crap hack question that I could ever ask. So uh, Yeah, well, it's, it is, I mean, if the last couple of years have had significant differences from being on a roller coaster. Oh. Right. So if less queuing. in that it might be a little bit like a roller coaster, it is equally as significantly not at all like a roller coaster. Has it been like a tram ride? It's been a bit more like a tram ride. It's been more like a game of Wheel of Fortune. Has it? Yeah. Yay! I'll have a vacuum cleaner. Uh, and you've, you've had the opportunity to tour it all over the world, uh, America? Yeah, did Ameri- uh, did a few gigs in America uh, late last year, and they went really well, and, and buoyed with the optimism and, the, and the, the many, many words of many, many Americans doing what Australians call pissing in my pocket. I, uh, <laughs> I, I went back and did a six-week off-Broadway run, which collapsed in a pile of... No, I didn't. It was absolutely fine, but hard. It's, uh, yeah, doing an off-Broadway run, don't, don't just do one. It's quite hard. <laughs> Oh do, do, oh, do one. I mean, oh, oh no, go, just go and do one. Sorry, that's so negative. Yeah, yeah. It might be like a roller coaster. It's a little bit like a roller coaster, yeah. Um, what's, what's next for you, Tim, after your holiday? Um, uh, come back. I'm, I'm meant to be writing some stuff for Omid, you know, Omid Jalili's mm-hmm. um, BBC One show. I, I, I really, they're interested in me doing some musical skits with Omid, um, but I'm just I'm really struggling to find the time to write because... Because uh, of your are, holiday. Because I'm here at the podcast. Um, <laughs> not because of my holiday. My holiday. I haven't been on holiday for 13 years. That, that would be a very long holiday. Yeah. I haven't been. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be. Yeah. Um, doing a few shows in London. I have to pop back to Australia for a week to do some press for my tour next year. And then I come back, um, do a bit more Omid, and then I'm on tour for two months in October, November around the UK. And then I'll go to L.A. and then I'll come back. Tim Minchin, living the showbiz dream. Yeah. Um, Tim Minchin is going to perform for us right here, right now, on this mm. Guardian at the Gilded Balloon stage. Before he does, I'd like to thank all of our guests this morning, Fred McCauley, Leo Benedictus, and thus far, Tim Minchin. And Dave Higgins. I, um, I am married to my wife and we've been together since this is true I um we've been well, I met her at 17 and uh pretty much pretty much have been together ever since and um, this is a love song I wrote for her called If I Didn't Have You Yep yep if I didn't have you If I didn't have you to hold me tight if I didn't have you to lie with that night If I didn't have you to share my sighs And to kiss me and dry my tears when I cry Well, I really think that I would have somebody else If I didn't have you If I didn't have you, someone else would do Your love is one in a million you couldn't buy it at any price But of the 9.999900,000 other possible laws Statistically some of them would be equally nice Or maybe not as nice but say smarter than you Or, or, or dumber but better at sport or tracing I'm just saying 
probably have somebody else. Oh yeah. If I didn't have you, if I didn't have you, someone else would do. Someone else would surely do. If I were a rich man. I guess I would be with a surgeon or a model or a rally of the royals or a Kennedy or an infomaniacal exhibitionist heiress to a large chain of hotels. If I were a rich man, maybe I would fiddle, fiddle, diddle, diddle with the rich man girls. I'm not saying that I'd not love you if I was wealthy or handsome, but realistically, there's lots of fish in the sea. And if I had a different rod, I would conceivably land some. Even though I'm fiscally consistently pitiable and considerably less Brad Pitt than Brad Pitiful, am I really so poor and ugly that you reckon only you could possibly love me and I really think that I would probably have somebody else? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Visual. If I And look, I'm not undervaluing what we've got when I say that given the role chaos inevitably plays in the inherently flawed notion of fate, it's abstruse to deduce I found my soulmate at the age of 17. It's just mathematically unlikely that at a university in Perth I happen to stumble on the one girl on earth specifically designed for me. And if I may conjecture a further objection, love has nothing to do with destined perfection. The connection is strength and the affection simply grows over time like a flower or a mushroom or a guinea pig or a vine or a sponge or bigotry or a banana. And love is made more powerful by the ongoing drama of shared experience and the synergy of a kind of symbiotic empathy or something like that. So I trust it goes without saying that I would feel really very sad If tomorrow you were to fall off something high or catch something bad But I'm just saying, I don't think you're special I mean, I think you're special, but you fall within a bell curve I mean, I'm just saying, I probably have somebody else I think you are unique and beautiful You make me happy just by being around but objectively, you would have to agree that, baby, when I found you, options are relatively thin on the ground. You're lovely, but there must be girls as lovely as you and maybe more open to spanking. Scrabble, I'm just saying. I think that I would probably have somebody else. I mean, I reckon it's pretty likely that if, for example, my first girlfriend Jackie hadn't dumped me after I kissed Winston's ex-girlfriend Nia at Steph's party back in 1993, enough variables would probably have been altered by the absence of that event to have meant the advent of a tangential narrative in which we don't meet. Which is to say there exists a theoretical, hypothetical, parallel life Where what is is not as it is And I'm not your husband and you are not my wife And I am a stuntman living in LA Married to a small blonde Portuguese skier Who when she's not training does abstract painting Practices yoga and brews her own beer And really likes making home movies And suffers neck down alopecia But with all my heart and all my mind, I know one thing is true. I have just one life and just one love, and my love, that love is you. And if it wasn't for you, baby, you really think that I would probably have somebody else? Oh, yeah. If I didn't have you, if I didn't have you, someone else would do. Someone else would surely do. Thanks very much for listening to these podcasts. Do download more at theguardian.co.uk slash Edinburgh or via the iTunes people.
I'm off for some tempura prawns. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.